Uh, if you've got a Bible, please go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We are in our sermon series, He is Alive. We have two weeks left. We have today, a uh, fun run next week, so nothing next week, and then the week after um, we will be wrapping up this series. We'll have got to the end of 1 Corinthians 15. And what we've been looking at, what we've been focusing on, is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And we've been looking at this chapter in a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, where he set out to write about the resurrection. And it's the longest section in our Bibles that deals with the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And the Apostle Paul, formerly known as Saul, met Jesus, met the risen Jesus. We saw that um, in the book of Acts. Melanie spoke about that on um, Easter Sunday. And then we've been looking at his response, how he wrote that. And he was writing to the church in Corinth who were making some errors about the resurrection. And he wrote to correct them, to affirm them, and to get them back on the right track. And we've seen so far that the resurrection from the dead is of first importance in his message he says that right at the beginning of the chapter, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is, is, the, is the fundamental message he brought, he brought to the church in Corinth. Jesus is alive. He is alive. And therefore, that has um, bearing on how we live and what we do. And then the second section, there was the what if question. What if Jesus hadn't risen from the dead? Because there were people in Corinth who were denying the resurrection of believers. And Paul said, well, actually, if believers don't rise, then Christ doesn't rise. What does that mean? And we found out that was a horrible situation for Christians. Um, so... What if Jesus didn't rise from the dead? The next one, we found out that the the resurrection from the dead is only the beginning. That Jesus' resurrection starts something that will continue into the future when the dead in Christ, those who become Christians, will one day rise. And what that happens and everything will ultimately be brought together in Jesus. And then last week, we looked at the fact that the resurrection of Jesus from the dead should shape our lives. It reveals... Um, how we live now, what we kind of believe about that, and the fact that Jesus has risen from the dead and we will rise from the dead should have an impact on and bearing on the decisions and the choices we make now. If you've missed any of that, it's online, you can catch up. But we are now in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we're going to start at verse 35. We're going to start at verse 35. So if you've got your Bible, I will read it to you. It should also appear on the screen behind me in a couple of slides. So let's go through this. It says this. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that it is to be, but a bare seed, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same. But there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly body is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for stars differ from glory to glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, and what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from earth, a man of dust. 
The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have been born the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. All right, big idea today. Big idea is on the day of resurrection, our bodies will be like Christ's bodies. On the day of resurrection, our bodies will be like Christ's bodies. Now this is good news. This should be good news for us. I don't know how you're doing with your body uh, at the moment, what kind of relationship you have with it. I am struggling with mine because um, over the lockdown uh, pandemic thing that we had, Rona, that came into our life, um, I, um, I found myself stuck at home a lot like you. And as a result, my kind of exercise routine sort of went out the window with the sort of pressure of everything that was going on, homeschooling. Oh, remember those days? Oh, I wish I drank. Um, but I remember those days. And as a result, I found myself being lethargic and just kind of like, ugh. And so as a result, I wasn't getting much exercise. I wasn't going out. And then kind of lockdown opened up and we could start going out and we could start doing things. And guess what? I didn't want to do things. I thought I'm happy in my pit uh, to be perfectly honest, I'm comfortable, I'm well fed, and that's what it is. And I had encouragement from the wife, who basically says, you need to get out and start doing some exercise, which I, I graciously rebelled against um, her and said, no, I'm definitely not doing that. And eventually I decided I need to, it's the right thing, I need to start getting back in shape, I need to start doing some exercise. And I'll tell you the truth, it's been horrible. It has been so hard just just the will to get outside and just go and put your shoes on and go for a run. And just that mental battle has been just, ugh. And I have fought it and occasionally I've won. But then I get out and you start moving and then what? Your body just protests. What are you doing, it says. It's much warmer and more comfortable at home. And I, I agree. I said, yes, I know. I agree. But she said I need to run. So I'm running. I'm doing it. And I've been plodding around one foot in front of the other, and I've been gradually getting back into a better shape uh, than I was. But it's just been hard work. And the reality is our bodies aren't the best. And as we get older, they break down. And the older you get, the harder it is to stay in shape, stay, hit weight, all those kind of things. But the good news is that we're going to look at today is one day our bodies will be like Christ's resurrection body. That glorified, awesome thing we read about in the, um, the Gospels and the book of Acts, that one day that is what we're looking forward to. And that is what Paul is writing about in this section. The word body occurs 10 times in this passage, and it hasn't appeared thus far in 1 Corinthians 15. So Paul is focusing on that massively today. And what he's dealing with is um, the objections from some, some in the Corinthian church about saying that we don't rise from the dead. The, the nub of the issue, it appears, is that they've got questions over what that looks like because they had problems with reanimated corpses. They weren't happy with the idea about zombies walking around, like that's what the resurrection of the dead is like, that these bones come out of the ground and start walking around, and they just like, we're not on board with that. And so they started to deny the resurrection, and Paul goes out and says, it's not like that at all. You've totally missed the point, and he explains it here. So we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at creation, we're going to look at Jesus, and then we're going to look at order. So the first one, creation, verse 35, it says, but some will ask, 
How are the dead raised? What kind of body do they come? And this is the opening set of questions that Paul is dealing with, that people will have been asking, and they're obviously asking about the mechanics of how does a corpse that's in a tomb come out or someone in the ground? How does that work? What, is, what does it look like and what is the nature of human existence after the resurrection? They couldn't wrap their minds around it and Paul lays into them with a very subtle, gentle rebuke, you foolish person. In the Bible, the fool is um, an image that is used for someone who doesn't live in reference to God. They, they make the decisions and God is not involved in that process. They, they don't care about God, they don't know God, they may even deny God. It's the fool who says in their heart, there is no God. And Paul is saying, you're one of them. You're not thinking from a Godward perspective. And he gives some examples from creation because creation, the created order, speaks to God. Psalm 19 verse 1 says the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim his handiwork. He says it's all around you, the message of God. And he gives three examples. He talks about seeds and then he talks about earthly and heavenly bodies. So he begins with the seeds. He says, you, what you sow does not become, come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain, a bare seed, a bare thing. And Paul is basically pointing out that the seed, which they would have all been familiar with in an agricultural society, even we're all familiar in an industrialized society, these seeds are these tiny little things, kind of sort of a bit shriveled sometimes, brown or white or whatever, and we put them in the ground, and then what comes from that is breathtakingly different from what went in the ground. The seed dies because you bury it. You push it under the ground. You put the earth over the top. It's dead. It's buried. But then what happens to that seed? It is utterly transformed. And the point that Paul is making is a living thing can have two modes of existence. It can have a seed... And then what comes out of the seed? It could be flowers, which are beautiful to look at. It could be uh, trees or shrubs, or it could be food, vegetables of some kind. And he said there is an utter transformation. The seed and what comes out of the seed basically have no kind of, they bear no sort of similarities. They are utterly different, yet they are connected because they were the same thing. It's been transformed. So it is with the resurrection. What is sown a body will look completely different when it comes and it's resurrected. It won't be just a reanimated corpse with bones. It will be a completely different order of things. So what is sown in the ground will look different. So there's a seed. And then he gives, um, he goes on to say that, but God gives it a body as he has chosen, verse 38, and to each kind of seed its own body. And basically what he's saying is that the, when a seed goes into the ground and it grows as something, that's the hand of God at work. That's God's hand. We, you know, people might day just say, oh, that's just nature at work. Well, behind that is God's sovereign hand. His so he's the one controlling it. So if he can do it with a seed that becomes a flower or a plant or a vegetable, he can do it with a body. He can do it. What is sown into the ground can come back different. And that's why he calls them foolish. He says, you're not thinking of God's hand involved in this. You're thinking a very earthly human with God kind of removed from the picture. So what you're thinking is foolish. And actually with all these types of seeds that are then transformed in the ground, so will your body be. And then he talks about bodies. He talks about earthly bodies and heavenly bodies. And he elaborates and he says there are different types of body. He says, for all, not all flesh is the same. 
He talks about humans, and then he talks about animals, and he talks about birds, and he talks about fish, all made from flesh, but they're all different. They're all different. So there are different orders of thing, and each order was designed for the existence it lives in. Fish are designed for the, the water, and birds for the air, and animals for the ground, and humans as well to live on the earth. So there's a different order as well. So he's moved from the transformation to things being in a different order. Then he talks about the heavenly bodies. There's different glory to each one from the sun and the moon. They're different because they are suited for their mode of existence, what they are to do, just like animals. And he's saying, actually, we will be transformed like the seed transformed, but we will be designed for a new mode of existence perfectly suited for what that is, just like a fish is for the sea and the sun is for the sky and the moon for the night. They are perfectly suited for what they are, the way God has designed them, and so will we be when we rise from the dead. And so Paul is basically saying, think about creation. The resurrection is baked into creation, Paul is saying, and it's there for anyone to see if they look with a sense of from God's perspective rather than from just a manly, earthly denial of God's perspective. He's saying that doesn't work. But when you look at it from God, it's all there. It's all there and it will speak to you day by day. And so he says we've got seeds, we've got animals and people and, and fish and, and then we've got the heavenly bodies in the sky. So there's going to be a transformation from one form to the other and it will be of a different order, perfectly suited uh, for what um, it's designed for. So then, so that's number one. Number two is Jesus verses 42 to 45. And now he points to Jesus who is the author of creation. He says in verse 42, So it is with the resurrection of the dead, still talking about the same subject, what is sown perishable, what is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory, it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. And then he talks about the first and the second Adam, which is the reference to Christ in there. And so... What Paul does there, talking, going back to the image of the seed, thinking about the seed going in the ground, he uses that sown and raised four times. So he is laboring this point. What you put in the ground is not the same as what comes out of the ground. And he uses to describe what goes in the ground, what is sown. He says four things. He first says, what's sown in the ground is perishable, which means it's temporary. It means it's subject to decay. It's only getting older. Paul says later in his letter, in 2 Corinthians, he says, though our outer self is wasting away. Every time you look in the mirror in the morning and do your hair, clean your teeth, wasting away. That's what he said. That's it. That's, that's what it says. Wasting away. You're doing your hair. Who took a little bit of extra time this morning to get themselves ready because they knew Dave was here with a camera? You're all liars. You just, I bet Who did it? We had stuff on our WhatsApp group about lederhosen they were going to be wearing just because that looked good. But anyway, we are wasting away. We're perishable, it says. The next one, it says it's sown in dishonor. That refers to a, the, the, the fallen state we find ourselves in. Romans 6 says the wages of sin is death. Okay? And that's what we are in that dishonorable state because we are subject to sin. We are guilty of sin. All that thing with subject to case. So that's the dishonor part. Then it says we're sown in weakness. We are fragile and we are delicate. We are easily broken, subject to injury and disease. It says in 2 Corinthians, again, Paul says, well, we have these treasures in jars of clay. They were just these insignificant sort of utent things around the house, containers that were easily broken. They drop, they smash. 
There's nothing to them. That's what we're like. We are sown in weakness. And then finally, the fourth thing he says, we are sown natural, which is just a reference to our present earthly state. Genesis 3 says, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. That is what's sown into the ground. I think we're all familiar with that. The older you are, the more familiar you are, and the older you get, the more familiar you become. So if you think you're young and virile and all that, just wait. Just wait. (laughs) Hair grows where it shouldn't. You know, things get flabby, all sorts of stuff. All right. But that's what's sown. But then he says, what's raised? He, said, he describes what's raised four times. So you put sown in the ground, then he says it's raised. The first thing, it is raised imperishable, with a reference to immortality, incorruptibility, and permanence. So what you've put in the ground is perishable. It's going to just rot and corrupt. But what comes out of the ground is going to last forever. He describes two words. It says what comes out is in glory and in power. These are two words used to describe God's kingdom. You probably pray on a regular basis. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Part of the Lord's Prayer. That's what we pray. So those two words describe that what comes out of the ground is fit for the God's kingdom in power and glory. That different order comes out. Paul says in his letter to the the Philippians, he says, uh, he will transform your lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. So there's that power of God at work there, transforming what has gone into the ground. And the last thing it says is spiritual. Now this is a reference, it's contrast with the natural which is the lowly earth state. Uh, the spiritual refers to the heavenly kingdom of God state. It does not mean immaterial, like floating around, you know, like in a, a sheet with no legs and, you know, ooh. That's not what it means. It means supernatural. It means transformed. It means suited for God's kingdom. So that is the analogy. He's taken the idea of the seed and saying, this is what's going to happen. What goes in the ground is going to be nothing like what comes out of the ground at the end. And it says in verse 45, thus it is written, the first Adam became a living being and the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. That is the contrast between Adam and Christ. We've already seen that earlier in the chapter, verses 21, 22, if you're around for that. Uh, And Paul here is quoting Genesis 2, where he's talking about when God formed Adam from the dust and then he breathed into him the life-giving spirits which brought him to life. And what he's saying is that Adam was brought to life, but he was subject because of sin. He was subject to decay. He was subject to death. While on the other hand, Christ came to give life. Adam was life-receiving. Christ is life-giving. And so when he comes, he is going to come and bring life because he was the first one to rise from the dead. We've seen that. It was the order. And then we will rise after him. And so that is what's going to happen. So he is the example. He's the one we look to. And Jesus himself, when his body was laying in the, the tomb, he was that weak, earthly body. And then when he rose, he had that glorious, imperishable, transformed body. Final thing, number three. The order, verses 46 to 49, it says, But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from earth, the man of dust. The second man is from heaven. So there's order in two senses here. There's order of action and there's order of being. The order of action is what one thing comes after the other. And the order is that obviously Christ would rise first. 
and then we will rise afterwards. And that's why he's using that kind of first and second language, and he's talking about the spiritual and the natural, the man of earth and the man of heaven. Um, and so when, when, when he died, he was transformed. And so there was the order of action. So Christ was the first one to be risen from the dead. And the second one is the order of being. When he talks about a man of dust and a man of heaven, he's talking about earthly human state. So we are of dust. And then when he's talking about a man of heaven, he's talking about the transformed state of Christ having risen from the dead. There is a different order of existence there. It says in verse 48, As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those of heaven. Just as we have been born the image of the man of dust, so we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So Paul brings it all back together. Those who are of dust... Humans will all die and return to dust. That is what's going to happen. That's how it goes. That's the first order. But what will also happen is that those who are in Christ will rise like Christ, like the man of heaven. There will be a transformed body. So when you read the stories of the resurrection, we celebrate Christ's victory. We celebrate uh, the end of the powers of sin and death. He broke we celebrate forgiveness and we celebrate justification and we celebrate all those things. But at the same time, we can celebrate, I'm going to be like that one day, one day. When I'm training for my running, I watch Mo Farah one day. No, that's not going to happen, is it? But when I read about Jesus rising from the dead, I'm going to be like that. I'm going to be like that. Obviously, we're not going to be God. He is God, but we're going to be like that of the same order where we can live in the new heavens and the new earth and there'll be no more crying and no more suffering and no more tears. And so Paul is making this point to the people in the church in Corinth who were denying the resurrection of believers for the dead and saying, no, that's not it. And he's saying, you've got it so wrong in your thinking. Your thinking is earthly, it is carnal, it has taken God out of the situation. When you look at it from God's perspective, it is obvious, even from the created order, what's going to happen. And Jesus is the one, the one who came from heaven, the one who is now resurrected, transformed. Uh, we are going to be like that. And so that is what's going to happen for us. And so one day we can look forward to that, that one day our bodies will be like Christ's body, which is great news. So what does it mean for us? What does it mean for us? Let's ask ourselves a few questions about this and apply it to our lives. And then we'll end with a bit of a worship time. First question are you in Adam or are you in Christ? Are you in Adam or are you in Christ? Paul makes a very clear distinction between these two. We all start in Adam, all of us. We are perishable, we are weak, we are dust. This is the consequence of our sin. This is what we are guilty of. We will all die. We will all face judgment. And the judgment and the punishment for our sin, for our rebellion against God, transgressions of his law, just the inward corruption of our lives, our thoughts, words, and actions is to face right eternal punishment. And we are all like the first Adam in that. And then we have the second Adam who comes, who is Jesus. And he came to earth and he succeeded where Adam failed because he lived the perfect life. He died in our place on the cross, took our punishment from sin, the punishment we deserve. He then rose from death, glorious, victorious. He ascended into heaven and he is there ruling and reigning right now, awaiting to return to scoop up his bride. And the question is, which one are you? Because those who acknowledge Jesus as their Lord and Savior, 
turn away from living their own life, repent of their sin, put their faith and trust in him, move from being in Adam to being in Christ. Yes, we're still subject to what Adam is. We're still going to perish. We're still going to fade away. But ultimately, our destination has changed. We can look forward to transform bodies where there will be no more pain or suffering or tears. And so the question is, which one are you? Because if you haven't made that decision to follow Jesus, haven't made that decision to put your faith and trust in him, you are still in Adam. If they're the two categories, you are in Adam, which means you, need to, you will face the consequences of your action. You do not have an advocate in heaven who will stand before the great eternal judge and say, I've covered him. So if that is you, you need to repent of your sin. You need to turn away. You need to put your faith and trust in Jesus. And I'd love to talk to you at the end. There are loads of people who would love to do it. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk about what that means. But do not leave today, if that's you, without making some headway on this, making some decisions about this. What about if you are in Christ? If you are a Christian here, if you've made that decision, you said, I put my faith and trust in Jesus. I've turned away from my own life. I'm part of his kingdom purposes here on earth. That is wonderful news. You need to repent as well (laughs) because we all live lives where we make mistakes We need to keep coming back to God, knowing he will forgive us. We need to keep putting our faith and trust in him. But what we get to do is we get to celebrate that good news. Apparently there's praise in the house of the Lord. And that's why. Because there's a future that we can look forward to. And it's not because we're special or we're great or we're smart or we're wise. Because we've worked it out. It's because God's grace and mercy has flooded our lives that he has called our names, that he has drawn us to himself and that we have been utterly transformed in him. We've been born again, Jesus said, into a new kingdom. And although we live in this earth and we're still subject to so much of it, we know that there's something inside this jars of clay which is an imperishable glory, which just shines out more and more and more. And so we get to celebrate that, we get to enjoy that. So that's the first question. The second question, how do you view your body? Paul says a lot about bodies in this one. Like I said, 10 times, I think. What it's going to be like now, what it will be like in the future. The current one fading away, the new one, a resurrection will be glorious and permanent. How do you view your body right now? Because there's two kind of possible extremes we can go to on this one. We can, go to, we can despise it or we can worship it. We can despise it. We can not take care of it. We can um, not look after it. We cannot be wise with it. We can't, you know, we might choose not to exercise, been there. We might choose what we eat, what we drink. We won't go to the doctors if we're ill. We, We just don't almost, there's no care of your body. And actually, the Bible says actually it's a temple of the Holy Spirit. So there should be a care we take over how we live our lives and how we conduct it. And we don't try to damage it or despise it or think it's just not part of us. God gave us it and we are to use it for his kingdom or his glory. But then there's the other extreme, which is the air we breathe in this culture. And that is that we can worship it and we can take a good thing and we can make it a God thing. And we can say, it's all about my body and what I look like and what I wear and how I do this. And we can be obsessed with the outer without taking any care of the inner. And all we're concerned about is our appearance. The irony of speaking this on the morning, we're having photos done. With all that extra time, yes, I got a haircut this week. 
Yes, I gave my bed an extra trim just to make sure, you know, all those things. But actually, that is something we need to be aware of as well. We can try and consume, fulfill all our physical lusts, and that's what our goal in life is. What we eat, what we drink, sexual gratification, all those things, they become our focus. And neither that doesn't honor God as well either. And so ultimately, what, how should we view our body? Well, our body is being given to us to serve the Lord. I try and look after it so I can be as productive as I can for him, as, for as long as I can for him, until he says, time to come home. And so I want to make sure I look after my body so I can be productive with him. And ultimately, God might one day ask me to give it up, like he did the Apostle Paul. He suffered beatings and drownings and hunger and all those things, and ultimately he gave his life, church history tells us. But actually until we get there, we need to keep going and looking after ourselves so we're being that without becoming overly obsessed with it. And the last one, how do you view your death? Every day that passes, it gets closer. You're welcome. Since I started speaking, you're 28 minutes closer to dying. That's good news, isn't it? Some of you are going to live to a right old age. Some of you aren't. This can be due to accidents, injuries, disease, illness, and it's likely to be pretty painful. It can be expected. It can be very sudden. And the question is, how do you view it? How do you view your death? Because it's going to happen unless Christ comes back. But let's assume it's after you've died. It's going to happen. And it's not something we like to talk about in this Western world. We live in a kind of, we have a funny attitude with death. On one hand, we try and push it as far away from us as we can, because 100 years ago, everyone died at home. Now, it's hospitals and care homes. We try and push it away, sanitize it, hide it away, get it as far away from us as possible. We don't want to talk about it. We don't do it. But on the other hand, this guy, we can glorify death. It's all over the news. That's what sells. It's also, we watch any TV movies. That's usually part of the plot line. Lots of shooting and explosions, even in the more emotional ones. Usually someone's going to die at some point. It's something that we can fear. It's something we can ignore. It's something that can make us afraid. And I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more I think about it. And the more of my think about my life in light of that, that actually, statistically, I'm, I think I'm almost halfway through. Because where I am, men seem to die younger than women, I think, the last statistic I read. And so that, you think, actually, that means I'm on, the downward, I'm on the downward trajectory. And so there's a reality there that it's getting closer and closer. And the question is, how are you going to live in light of that? Because your life has gone this far, and there is a period left that you don't know, and we will end with your death. And we don't know how long that is. And the question is, how are you going to live in light of that? How are you going to live like? Are you going to live and try and cram everything you can, get every experience you can, create a bucket list like that matters? Or are you going to live in light of a resurrection that is coming and actually sell your life now knowing what is coming is better? Because our life now is merely the first page of a very long novel. It's insignificant in respect to what comes next. And how are we going to view that? How are we going to live that life? My family verse that we picked, Mel and I, and we got married, is Matthew 6, 33. And it says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. 
and then everything else gets added to you. And so we've made it our priority to seek him and his righteousness first. Over and above our comfort, over and above what's convenient, over and above kind of how we, you know, do the things of the world, keep up the Joneses, all those things. We've made God our priority. Knowing that one day this life will end and what is perishable and weak and dishonorable will be just sown into the ground. But we live in a hope and an expectation that what will be raised will be permanent, wonderful and glorious. And so my question is, how are you doing in those things? Do, are there things you need to adjust in how you're living life? What you're prioritizing now? What matters now? Because it's coming. And it's something to look forward to and it's something to be hopeful for. But actually you've got a, a window to be as productive as you can for the Lord in that season. And I think there's a challenge for us as a church. There's a challenge for us as individuals. How are we going to sell those years, invest those years that we have left for the most glory for Jesus. Amen. Let's start. Do you want to stand? I'm going to pray. I'll pray a happier prayer, okay? I'm just, <laughs> trust me. So we can then segue into worship. <laughs> You're welcome, everyone. Um, do you want to just close your eyes? And open um, your hands. I'm going to pray. I'm hoping that the Holy Spirit, in his grace and mercy, has made you a little uncomfortable with what's been shared this morning. Because it should. It should. If you've just been stroked like you stroke a cat and it purrs, I think we probably missed something in proclaiming the word of God. It should provoke us. It should shape us. It should transform and change us and yes it can be comforting but also it should be challenging as well and we should leave times like this with something of our thinking has moved because we've been reminded of something or we've been shown something or God poked something or he said remember this truth or something about it has left us different from when we came in because if we're if you're different if you're not the same sorry if you're the same having sung all those worship songs and listened to a sermon now then we failed in some point I want to pray that the Holy Spirit of God does some work in you to stir your soul, to lift you, to put your eyes on him, to have hope and faith for the future, not because life will be easy, but the end is good and worth it. And the end is eternal and everything we face right now is temporary and is wasting away. So I'm just going to pray. Holy Spirit of God, we pray you'd come now and fill us. Lord Jesus, we recognize we are frail and weak, but we recognize you are good and great. Lord God, we thank you for the pattern that you rose from dead, that one day we will. Even as his body falls apart, Lord, we know that there is a future that's coming, Lord God. And we pray, we ask by your grace that we would walk in your ways here, that we wouldn't be consumed by the novelties of this world, to consume on ourselves and just let it terminate there. But we would take all that you've given us and we would seek to love and share and serve others. Even in the money we've given this morning, God, we pray that would bless others and point them to you. Lord God, we ask you forgive us for poor attitudes in our lives, how we've lived, even how we've treated our bodies, whether we've worshipped or despised it. God, we ask you forgive us for poor attitudes there, Lord God. And we pray 
as we look to the future and the day of our death approaches, God, we ask you give us grace to walk in your ways, to look towards you, to focus on you. Say we love you, we praise you. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.